0: Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that
1: created the collective unconscious of the nicest kids in town.
0: I'm Hannah Leach.
1: And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going
0: to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are?
1: Today, at long last, we are talking about 2007's Hairspray. Hairspray.
0: Play.
2: That was our very own Link Larkin. And I'm Motor Mouth Maybell. Pitch rhythm your way. Dancing on that show is my dream. <laughs> Wanna be one of the nicest kids in town? Cut school tomorrow and come to audition. No one in this house is auditioning for anything. But
3: Mom. Uh, Amber? Save
2: your personal life for the camera, sweetie.
3: Oh, shine. Audrey,
0: there's something special about this episode today. Would you care to share what it is?
1: Yes, yeah, so. As I was logging my Letterboxed um, films that I've watched recently, which I always do, um, I was logging Hairspray, and I found out that this is the 50th movie that we're covering.
0: It is exciting and a deserving honor because we've wanted to talk about this movie for a really, really, really long time, but you know, didn't wanna, didn't wanna do it prematurely. So the grand finale of our season three. Uh, Season 3.5 musical mini-season. Seems like a good time to talk about Hairspray, don't you think?
1: Yes, very much so. The best times. Are you ready to get into the facts? Never been more ready in my entire life. (laughs)
0: Okay. (laughs) So, Hairspray was released on July 20th, 2007, End of cancer season. Great time for this movie to come out. Uh, and it was directed by Adam Shankman. Well, this man is uh, has directed a lot of things that are very relevant to us. So first of all, uh, he is directing Hocus Pocus 2. Oh, no, no, no. He's executive producing Hocus Pocus 2. He was a producer of the movie adaptation of Rock of Ages. He was the <laughs> producer of Seventeen Again and also The Last Song and Cheaper by the Dozen 2. And even more relevant are the things he's directed. So he directed one episode of AJ and the Queen, which is funny. Um, (laughs) He's directing Disenchanted. He directed the Rock of Ages movie also, which makes sense. And he directed A Walk to Remember, a movie I have not seen and know that I should because it's relevant to us.
1: Yes, very much so.
0: Yes. Um, The movie was produced by... Two individuals, which, if you've been listening to this season, you're very familiar with these men at this point. Craig Zadan and Neil Moran. Uh, they have directed basically every or produced every musical that we've talked about so far. So we owe these men our lives, to be honest.
1: Hopefully We're they su- don't suck. <laughs>
0: they might suck, but I have you heard anything about them sucking? No. Okay, good. I hope they don't suck. I really, really do. The screenplay for Hairspray was written by Leslie Dixon, who uh, wrote the screenplay for Mrs. Doubtfire, The Heartbreak Kid, and Phil and Lohan, Freaky Friday. Leslie is a woman, I did check, and she also was the executive producer of Limitless. I like how I just made it sound like being a woman was one of her credits, but
2: (laughs) she is a woman.
0: (laughs) Um, And so, okay, there's a lot of layers of IP that go along with this movie. So Leslie wrote the screenplay, but Leslie adapted the screenplay from the Broadway musical Hairspray written by Mark O'Donnell and Thomas Meehan. Uh, This musical is like Very ubiquitous. It ran on Broadway from 2003 to 2009. It won a bunch of Tonys. Uh, It's very well known. But that musical was an adaptation of the John Waters movie, Hairspray, which is, I believe, John Waters' only PG-rated movie. for those who don't know who John Waters is, he's like an icon. He's an iconic film director known primarily for his collaborations with Divine. Um, But some of his more famous movies are Crybaby, Pink Flamingos, Female Trouble, Polyester, and Hairspray, of course. Um, And he even makes a cameo appearance in the version of Hairspray we're talking about today as the flasher in the very beginning.
1: Uh, Why did I not realize that? I don't know. That's him, though. uh, Yeah, he's so (laughs) specific-looking.
0: Probably because you saw him do that so many times before you knew who he was. Yeah. That's what I would guess, at least. It's cool that they included him, though. I agree. He was actually a producer- for this movie he was very involved in this movie so oh, good I don't I don't think that he has any beef with the like um sugar coatedness of all the adaptations because I'm sure he's making a ton of money from it on top of mm-hmm. it all so John Waters gets his flowers Audrey do you want to read this plot synopsis yes
1: yeah, so the plot synopsis for Hairspray Pleasantly plump teenager Tracy Turnblad teaches 1962 Baltimore a thing or two about integration after landing a spot on a local TV dance show. <laughs> An interesting <laughs> description. They make it sound like she's like giving them all a lecture. No, she's I not. I know. I
0: thought that was funny.
1: Um, and then as for taglines. There's um, a lot. Jeez, <laughs> what... It, what is this, like 10? <laughs> there's a lot of them. What the hell? Okay, there's a ton of them. I'm going a, I'm to a rattle them off. Who's who behind the do? Get ready for something big July 20th. You can't stop the beat, dot, 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 July 2007. This summer, when you follow your own beat, there is no limit to how far you can go. <laughs> it was a time of tradition, a time of values, and a time... <laughs> dot 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 to shake things up in July 2007. Are you ready for something big? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Remember when a movie can what? Remember when a movie could make you dream, make you dance, and make you feel on top of the world. <laughs> When you follow your own beat, the world will follow you. On July 20th, the summer blockbuster is getting a whole new look. For anyone who wanted something bigger, there comes a time to break all the
0: rules. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There were 11 taglines. I doubt that all of those were legitimate options. But I just wanted to give you something uh, challenging. So there's all 11. (laughs) Okay. Wow. So this cast is really big and really full of relevant people. So what I'm going to do is uh, just read the cast list in billing order. And I just chose the movies they're best known for from their IMDb pages because I didn't want us to get stuck talking about this forever. So here we go. This is the cast in credits order. And you will see how shady this credit order is as I'm going through it based off of screen time and amount that they're actually in the movie versus where they rank. First up, we have John Travolta in drag, if you could call it that. To me, it's more just costume uh, as Edna Turnblad. This was the role that was originated by Divine in the 80s. Um, and I'm pretty sure played by Harvey Fierstein on Broadway, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, he's best known for his roles in Pulp Fiction, Get Shorty, Grease, and Saturday Night Fever. Truly just a meatball sub of a man and America loves him next up we have Michelle Pfeiffer as Velma von Tussle she's best known for What Lies Beneath Hairspray, One Fine Day and The Fabulous Baker Boys and she is really evil in this movie next up we have Christopher Walken as Wilbur Turnblad he is best known for The Deer Hunter, Catch Me If You Can and The Prophecy and I do not know a single one of those movies and I thought that was funny Next up, we have Amanda Bynes. We know who she is. Uh, She plays Penny Pingleton in this movie, and she's best known for She's the Man, What a Girl Wants, Easy A, Sidney White, and The Amanda Show, and, of course, Wanting Drake to Murder Her Vagina. Next up, we have James Marston as Corny Collins, one of our favorite men on this earth. He's best known for X-Men, 27 Dresses, Enchanted, Hairspray, obviously, and The Notebook. Do you have anything to say about him, Audrey? No. <laughs> okay, just we approve, as always. Yes. Um. Okay. And then next up, we have Queen Latifah as Motormouth Maybell. We literally were just talking about her last episode, but she's best known for Chicago, Hairspray, Taxi, Beauty Shop, Living Single, and she was in, like, a weirdly large amount of kids' stuff from when we were kids. So mm-hmm. it's like Ice Age 2 and shit, but, like, I don't need to go into that. Then we have Brittany Snow as Amber Von Tussle, best known for Pitch Perfect 1 and 2 in the movie Prom Night. I don't really know shit about her, but she is a significant character in this movie. Next up, we have Zac Efron as Link Larkin at truly peak cuteness, peak teen cuteness. Uh, Obviously, we know him from High School Musical 17 again, The Greatest Showman, which I still haven't seen, and Charlie St. Cloud. Here's the thing. I always feel bad shitting on that movie because um, I have a lot of friends that really like it.
1: I'm sorry, friends. It is just (laughs) not good. So sorry.
0: (laughs) All right. You can take you can take the fall instead of
1: me. Yeah, I will fall on that sword. I don't Um, shit on people. I don't I'm not mad that anybody likes it. It's just that (laughs) I cannot be expected to like it. Um, and, And that's that's that.
0: That's okay. It's okay that you don't like it. I probably would feel the same way. Okay. Next up, we have Elijah Kelly as Seaweed. Truly one of the hottest men ever to be seen in a movie. Um, He is best known for 28 Days, Strange Magic, and Lee Daniels, the butler. His hair is immaculate in this movie, and I love him. Next up, we have Allison Janney <laughs> as Prudy Pingleton. The mom of all moms, and she's best known, at least to us, for her roles in Juno, The Help, The Hours. Not breaking news in Yuba County, but mm. just that's relevant somewhat.
1: It's on planes now, guys. All
0: right, there you go. <laughs> uh, and apparently she's on screen for less than three minutes of this entire movie, but that does not matter well, it matters, but it it still wasn't enough for Nikki Blonsky, to, who is literally Tracy, to be billed above her. So um, Nikki Blonsky is best known for Hairspray. She was also in the show called Huge, which was an ABC Family series about fat camp. She was also in a show called Geography Club. But I feel like she's primarily known for being weird online, or just not even weird online, for being very specific online. Audrey, what is your, uh, can you, are you able to share your saga with Nikki Blonsky? Yeah,
1: I think so, right? (laughs) I think so, yeah. So basically, I've always thought that the world really needs a documentary about Nikki Blonsky because we do. They do. (laughs) And so like sophomore year of college, I was in this documentary class that required, I think it was, Like, for my final or something. And you were supposed to, like, find a subject that you really care about. Like, you really want to do a good job on a short about the subject. So, I was, like, cold emailing Nikki's agent at the time (laughs) and actually got a response. And then there was supposed to be, like, a call. And this was when I was, like, 19. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so funny. Um, There was supposed to be a call and I I waited for it. And then I like followed up when the call was supposed to happen. And the agent was like, never mind. Nikki does not have time for this. And I was like, "Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) So and then um, like right before COVID started, literally or actually I think it was like even it was like. Roughly when COVID started, I had the bright idea to buy a cameo from Nikki Blonsky and, like, re-pitch the idea. (laughs) (laughs) So, obviously, since I bought her time, literally, she, like, had to respond to me. (laughs) What did she say?
3: Audrey, hi, it's Nikki Blonsky. How are you? So, um, you wanted a pep talk about the coronavirus. Okay, girl, this is how it's got to go. You gotta bunker down, you gotta hang in there, you gotta do you, take care of you, take care of yours, your family, make sure everybody's happy, healthy, fed, clothes, clean, and just keep it moving, sis. Don't worry about, you know, I mean, that's the only thing you can do. You can't worry about things you can't control right now. We can't control the coronavirus, but we could do everything to take precautions. So step it up, everybody take precautions, um, distance yourself, don't be on top of people, And just be kind to yourself in these rough times and to each other. All right, hang in there. And yes, I love that you're finishing your first documentary. So yes, DM me. Be well. But
1: yeah, like, I kid you not, like, nothing but love and respect for Nikki Blonsky and people deserve. I think we all would love that, right? We all would love to see the nuance of her life. Like, who doesn't want that?
0: Fully agreed. And when I was reading all of the reviews of Hairspray, like, in preparation for this, people kept talking about how she is such a star and, like, deserves her flowers so much, but has clearly not been in a lot of big things since she was in Hairspray, Um, which is sad because she is really good. And she came out as gay not that long ago, so she's gay on top of it all. Who doesn't yeah. love that?
1: She's got a great okay. TikTok. Go on her TikTok. <laughs> I I get notifications all the time that's like, Nikki Blonsky invites
0: you to join her live. And sometimes I do just (laughs) to see what she's up to, you know? (sighs) Yeah. Okay. So there's just two more people. Little footnotes. Next up, we have Taylor Parks as little Inez. And this is like Taylor Parks of Ariana Grande adjacency. She's also apparently my friend Diana's cousin, which I find to be very funny. Um, And then last but not least, we have Mr. Pinky. But... He so I didn't know this, but in the original hairspray, he played Wilbur. So cameo casting with Mr. Pinky. Mr. Pinky might be my favorite in this whole movie, to be honest. So (laughs) when he's like, I'm Mr. Pinky. That's my favorite part. Numbers time.
1: All right. So the budget for hairspray was 75 million. The box office opening weekend made twenty seven million eight hundred thousand, which is the best opening weekend for a musical ever up until that point. So, wow, that's awesome. It was beaten
0: by uh, *Mamma Mia* in two thousand eight, just one year later, which sucks. Damn. But,
1: yeah. They held it for a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the overall worldwide gross is 203,552,922. Um, so yeah, they're not hurting, obviously. <laughs> and then as far as critic scores and opinions, it has a 91% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. I know. <laughs> That's crazy. I know. Critic consensus. Hairspray is an energetic. Hairspray <laughs> is an energetic, wholly entertaining musical romp. A fun summer movie with plenty of heart. Its contagious songs will make you want to get up and start dancing. Yay. Yeah. I mean, it's is that kind of it's hard with hairspray because there's such relevant social topics and political topics in it, but you can just like ignore all of that if you will, if you want to. Yes. Um, As a critic, like, that's interesting. And then the critical takes. This film leaps at you with such joy and vigor and generosity, you cannot reject it. Somebody else says, I actually can't remember the last time a movie opening made me so cheerful. (laughs) And then the third one is, Waters' cultists have ample reason to be wary, but the film retains a surprisingly subversive edge that undercuts its blinding surface gloss. I agree, personally. Um, And then the
0: audience score is 84%. So very, very favorable spread between the critic and audience score, I have to say. And when I was looking through the reviews, it was very much the same situation it always is, which is people loving it and then people saying, I don't like musicals. Yeah. So these are just three audience reviews that I thought were really funny. The first one is... John Travolta as a wife, that's hilarious. A wife, specifically. Uh, And then we have, it's the only movie that Christopher Walken actually does right, which I I can't agree or disagree because I haven't seen him in anything else, but I love him in this movie and he does it extremely right. So I do agree about that part. And then last but not least, this guy, his name was James Z on Rotten Tomatoes said this. Tireless musical mixes addictive songs and convivially interesting personages, but appeals to modern sensibilities to importune the past. Often makes hairspray a propaganda exercise rather than an impassioned search for tolerance. (laughs) Which, like, what the hell? Those are not words. That's not a sentence, but he really wanted to feel intelligent. And I uh, just had to, I had to share that with you guys. Importune <laughs> was used unironically, so I had to do it.
1: So, obviously, it's, it's uh, extremely close to the High School Musical 2 era, Zach Efron did not go on the high school
0: musical tour because he was filming hairspray and also probably because Drew actually sang all the songs. <laughs> A combination of the two.
1: Correct. But yeah, I feel like culturally I like I'm going to post this on our Instagram, but I found this um today show interview that had like Elijah, Amanda, Nikki and Zach and wow. they're all standing there and Matt Lauer, lol. Um Yeah. He asks Zach specifically, like, "What has it been like for you to like do all these musicals?" And like, H- "High School Musical Two is about to come out," and Zach is just so clearly uncomfortable about it. Like, <gasps> he just did not want to be the musical man. I, you know, he really, didn't. yeah, like he he did not want to be the musical man. But I also get this vibe of like he feels really uncomfortable in the spotlight and he and like he's there promoting this movie with three other people and they're focusing on him too much and he knows that and you can tell that it makes him uncomfortable
0: oh my god uh, that is really interesting and it's also interesting when you think about him now because all the stuff he's doing is like kind of weird reality adventure guy shows yeah Which apparently this show just got announced called Killing Zac Efron, and it's just him doing really hard expeditions. Good for him. (laughs) Yeah. Things we remember about this movie from childhood. Audrey, what do you have?
1: Well, it was a minivan movie. I, it was. Yeah, like it became one or it was one. I don't think it was there from the beginning, but it was mm-hmm. there at some point. Mm-hmm. And so we did watch it a lot. And I, you know, I'm sure you you would probably talk about this too, but like being just like extremely white girls growing up <laughs> in Silver Lake, Ohio, which is also really white, I don't know that my, I don't, like, my child brain just sheltered white girl vibes, so I don't think my childhood brain could fully, it couldn't understand the parts of Hairspray that came from true experience and the parts that came from a campy musical. Like, I I didn't know there were source texts, like, I didn't know, like, what any of this came from. So I think I was just kind of confused about like the line between reality and mm-hmm. and fiction.
0: Well, I have I wrote a note about this in my notes for the movie, but like especially for us, I feel like there were particular media experiences that like taught us what racism was. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's a yikes. I mean, it is, well, it it is I mean, it is a yikes, but, I mean, but it's just true.
1: Yeah, but it is, I mean, it is a yikes for obvious reasons. It means that you are not exposed to people unlike yourself as a child. Yes, well, our childhood was
0: very, 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 very white, except for our one-year stint in Boston where, like, it was really international, but I don't think there were many, like, black Americans. There were like some African people, like international people, but not a lot of black Americans from what I can remember. And we were in Boston. I know, I think I've mentioned this like once before, but it was like a long time ago, I think. And it was, our dad was in grad school at MIT. And so it was like a program with a big international draw. So we met people from other countries, but not necessarily a lot of different cultures from within the U.S. as it was at the time.
1: Anything else about this movie from childhood, Audrey? No, I think I just loved it. I just loved it fully and like was never bored watching it. Like there's really hardly any slow points. So mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's just a banger. <laughs> okay. So I have a lot, but I have some
0: that are kind of, well, they're very cringy. My most shameful confession is that I just 100% saying I know where I've been for a show choir audition one time and it was not in good taste but I did do it because it was the like one of the only alto musical theater songs I knew and so I did that and thankfully very few people saw it but it did happen so there's some growth I was 14
1: that's just reflective of what I already described about like just being culturally like not ignorant in a way of like we were ever openly hateful nothing like that it's just ignorance like not having the world experience to see why that would be a cringy thing to do and yeah times were just it was
0: just different I don't know times were different in 2009 let me just
1: say Mm -hmm. yeah and and that is Like I've seen a lot of TikToks of like white not like a bunch of white people doing like in the heights or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It is so funny and just like the best cringe content you could ask for. Yeah. Um like at some point, I guess we can only assume that there will be uncomfortably white productions of Hamilton. Which adds a whole other layer of wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we all have that look. We all have that to look forward to. <laughs> yep. Yes, we do. Okay, so
0: you can go watch Hairspray on Netflix. It's very easy. But regarding our lack of knowledge on some subjects, or just us being white girls, we are going to pull in a couple guests in the second half just kind of sharing their thoughts on Hairspray in terms of like representation and how it's aged. Um, So you can look forward to that in the second half as well. Um, But yeah, go watch the movie and we will meet you back here. Okay, so... Here today is my new friend, Abby, the host of More Than Tracy T. Can you explain a little bit about what your podcast is?
3: Yeah, so my podcast is all about fat representation and body size diversity in the entertainment industry. So the reason that it's called More Than Tracy T is because I am a plus size actor and I've been told my whole life that I should play Tracy Turnblad and I never get told I'd be good at playing much else. That's age appropriate because I'm in my 20s. Mm. And um, oh my goodness. It started to really like Tracy Turnblad was like this black cloud hovering over me <laughs> at one point. And I was like, this is I can do more than this. Like, this is not all that I am. Mm-hmm. Um, Hence the title more than Tracy Turnblad. You know, I'm a white person. I'm a woman. I've had those experiences, but I don't know what it's like to exist in a fat body outside of that. So I really wanted to get as many perspectives as possible on the podcast. So it became an interview podcast, and every week I talk to a different... um, fat person or a person with a perspective on fat phobia in the entertainment industry.
0: Do you remember the first time you watched or saw Hairspray and what your first impression was?
3: Yeah. Um. <laughs> so I was probably 10 years old, like sort of knew I was fat, but wasn't ready to like confront that. Mm-hmm. Like I was just trying not to think about it. Um I I like really suddenly got fat when I was about 10 I think it was probably puberty yeah. <laughs> in hindsight like looking at the pictures <laughs> I'm like okay I just hit puberty um but at the time I like had no idea what was going on and it was like really scary um but anyway this movie was the first time I ever saw a fat person and I remember a, like a fat person as a lead on screen having any meaningful story and mm-hmm. I was in my parents basement and I got the DVD already obsessed with like Fiddle on the Roof and Phantom of the Opera and sound of music and stuff, so um it it was logical and the movie was coming out and I have I'm surprised that my parents bought me something that was like new and I watched it Probably like every day, or at least very often, it was added to our regular rotation mm-hmm. of movies, many of which have been discussed on this podcast. <laughs> I was um I just absolutely love this genre. This was like mm-hmm. literally the only movies that I had seen before like
0: college. <laughs> literally me too. Same. <laughs> so when you were watching it when you were a little kid, what do you think? It specifically was about it that made you want to watch it over and over again.
3: Well, like a big part of it was that I'd never seen a fat person as a lead, although pretty quickly I started to be like, oh, okay, so all I can be is Tracy or Edna. God forbid. I was terrified that I was more like Edna than Tracy, Mm, Um, which is like, yeah, Yeah. it's, it's like kind of a. A gender thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, like it was challenging to my femininity to see one of the only two fat characters mm-hmm. on screen being played by a man in a fat suit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> although I, in hindsight, I do really love what he did with the character. That aspect of it, and, like, I had danced when I was a little kid and quit ballet and um, was scared to get back into dance now that I had, like, gained so much weight, so this movie was really helpful for that as well and, like, was a big motivating factor for me to, like, get back to dancing. Um, because I was like, well, if I'm going to play Tracy, I got to be able to dance. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, like, I danced all through high school, and obviously I went to, a like, a BFA musical theater program, so in college. And, like, dance has always been a really positive thing for me, and, and um, I, I don't think I should discount this movie's role in that.
0: When I just rewatched it, because I always rewatch before we do the episodes, obviously, I was like— I went into it being like, okay, John Travolta definitely makes me uncomfortable in this movie. But then I watched it again, and I was like, this is actually a very loving portrayal of this character. And, and but at the same time, I feel like there's a lot in the text that, like, almost doesn't hit right because he's not making her the butt of a joke. You know that's what I'm so saying? so fair. Like, Timeless to me is a little weird because it's, like, he's, he's like, actually embodying the whole character without any sense of, like, but I'm a man. Like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, you know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah, yeah that's yeah. so true. And I think that, like, also, like, you can't stop my knife and fork when I see a <laughs> Christmas ham. Like, all, that, yeah. all the jokes about her eating. Yeah. Which actually, a lot, I think, are cut out of the movie and are only in, mm-hmm. um, are only in the musical. Yeah. But um, and that's that's the one place where I think Hairspray does fail in its representation of fat people mm-hmm. is like, they did not take if Edna has like a binge eating disorder, <laughs> they did yeah. not take that seriously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or if she's just obsessed with food and they made fun of that, like equally fat phobic. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean that I mean maybe that's nitpicky because I do love John Travolta's portrayal. Like he played it straight and yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. I guess. <laughs> um yeah, I totally agree with you, but I also really needed to see your Timeless to Me played straight oh, when I was yes. a <laughs> kid. Like, I needed that. Totally and, same, yeah. You know, you were expecting the whole movie, like, the first time you watch it, you're expecting, like, okay, there's no way the husband really likes her. Like, I remember thinking mm-hmm. that um, she was absolutely going to get seduced away <laughs> uh-huh. by Velma, and or, or Christopher Walken was, mm-hmm. and he didn't. And yeah. that was shocking to me. Yeah. Like, to, it was also probably the first time I'd ever seen a— A a husband on TV who didn't want to cheat on his wife. (laughs) Yes, totally. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Hashtag goals. Yeah, right. (laughs) I do not support fat suits. I think they're terrible. Mm -hmm. I also think a lot of musical theater drag is like super transphobic Mm -hmm. and misogynistic and like is just terrible to many marginalized people. Mm -hmm. But the way that John Travolta played it in Hairspray almost redeems it for me, at least in that one case, Mm -hmm. because he did it so sensitively and taking the character so seriously and refusing to point and laugh at her. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, like, if you're going to do a fat suit, this is how you need to do it. Totally. Um, Still don't, but, like... Yeah. So one thing that Audrey and I were talking about a little bit is
0: the relationship between sizism and racism in Hairspray. Mm
3: -hmm. And I'm wondering
0: what your take is on, like, the kind of semi-equivalency that's drawn there.
3: Oh, interesting. I don't think of it as equivalency. Mm-hmm. I think of Hairspray as a journey of Tracy waking up and realizing that her own oppression, like, she sort of realizes her white privilege mm-hmm. and that she can put herself aside to fight for more marginalized people. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, I understand the criticism that people say is a white savior movie. But I have never, um... Really thought of it as drawing a direct equivalency because I think there is like a storyline of Tracy very much acknowledging like, no, I need to sort of pass the mic, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and that's why she doesn't have the 11 o'clock number Motormouth Mabel does.
0: Right. That's true. That's a good point. So, obviously, Nikki Blonsky has gone on to live in varying levels of internet infamy over the past (laughs) two (laughs) years. Um, Um, And I'm wondering what your take is on why she's stuck in this purgatory that she's in.
3: Honestly, it's heartbreaking. Like, Yeah. She's so good in hairspray. She's so talented. Give her more to do. Yeah. But I think it's that thing of, like, (laughs) to get, like— Oh, it's, like, that sort of psychological phenomenon of, like, mm-hmm. when somebody wants something too much, it turns yeah. us off. Yeah. Um. So I feel like that's kind of what's going on with her. And, like, yeah. it must be super frustrating to, like, have this one movie where you genuinely were great. Mm-hmm. Like, I— like, I rewatched part of the movie before this this recording. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, she's so good. Like, she's so <laughs> right for this part, and yeah. she does such a good job in this movie. Yeah.
0: Tracy has been a super, like, persona and career-defining role for Nikki. And why yeah. do you—what do you think about that?
3: You know, I think it speaks to how few fat characters we have available for people to play. And I think that to punish Nikki Blonsky for not— booking more mm-hmm. and for wanting to book more is yeah. like very very gross and ignores like Hollywood's very real problem of fat phobia mm-hmm. and like look at the next role she played was about fat camp like right especially in the time hairspray was released in like 2007 like there were so much there was so much less representation of fat people in Hollywood and particularly less good representation Mm -hmm. of bad people in Hollywood. And, you know, I think she could play any role Beanie Feldstein has ever done. Uh I really do. Yeah. (laughs) And I I love them both. Yeah. But I I feel really sorry for her. Like, I think she's still really talented. And I hope. Yeah. The thing you said
0: about, like, the earnestness and, like, the hyper Mm -hmm. wanting it, like— Beanie yeah. comes from this Hollywood family and kind of has a cool girl thing, even though yes, she's a bigger totally, person. Totally. Whereas it's like it's like they're um, like two sides of the same coin in terms of
3: attitude, but like the material yeah. is
0: kind of the same. That's interesting to think right. about. It's
3: like their castable type is very similar.
0: So when I was rewatching the movie, I really was kind of ashamed that I had this reaction, but, like, the last shot of the movie being Zac Efron making out with with Nikki really felt, like, so radical to me even now. Yeah. And I'm wondering <sighs> if you have a similar reaction when you see it. Mm. Or, like, how has that evolved over time?
3: That's an interesting question. Um, Today, I don't think I would have such an extreme reaction, mm-hmm. although I definitely will say when I see... Sometimes when I see, like, social media posts of couples where, like, especially if it's, like, a fat girl and a thin guy, sometimes there's a part of my brain that's like, what? Mm -hmm. Um, To this day, it's getting a lot better as I get more exposure to it. Mm -hmm. Watching Drop Dead Diva and um, (laughs) my Mad Fat Diary definitely helped. But I think the first time I saw it, I was like... Probably blown away because I do. I really strongly remember the part where he says, "Tracy, I'm in love with you, no matter what you weigh." Yeah. Which, as a kid, I had never like. I was like, "Wait, what?" Like, like that I can just, happen. <laughs> that, yeah. This was the first movie that I ever saw like a fat person in any relationship, let alone with like this conventionally attractive like. You know, star like TV star. Mm-hmm. Um. So, and I think I just dismissed it as like, well, that would never really happen. It's a fantasy. Yeah. Like, right. Like I didn't. It didn't change my <laughs> concept of love or whether that was available to me or other fat people. Mm-hmm. It just was like, wow. Yeah. Like it was. It was just merely arresting. Like it. It. I. I didn't. I never thought that it was real. Mm.
0: Hmm. I feel like same. And now I'm like, wait, it is real, and it's in this movie, and it's so, (laughs) like, it's just... So wild that that was something that we all consumed when we were um, so young. And that it still, it's like the system we're living in is so violent that we still were like, no. How
3: can this one thing push back against years of conditioning when you're so young Mm -hmm. and then more years of conditioning after you see the thing? Like, you know what I mean? It's just, that's why we need more fat representation. Totally, totally. (laughs) Hence my podcast. Yes.
0: So, okay, I would classify myself Not to get into the weeds, but I would classify myself as, like, a small fat person. Yeah, same. -hmm. And I feel like my journey of, like, accepting that and, like, it just, like, not, like, being less of a big deal, but something I'm, like, delving into more as, like, a part of my identity, I guess, started at the very beginning of COVID. Because, like, my whole Mm -hmm. life up till then was just, like, diet, not diet, diet, not diet, diet etc. And I'm yeah. wondering when your journey started, especially coming from a musical theater background, which is oh, just yes. like toxic waste swampland. Oh, what? what oh, like, 100%, 100%. tell me <laughs> where it started and toxic where you are now.
3: Swamp land. I have a BFA in toxic waste swampland. Thank you. <laughs> um. So I will say that like for a lot of my musical theater career, I was not even really plus size. Like I was mm-hmm you know, kind of borderline. I was a size 12 for a long time. I was a size 14 for a long time. I'm now Mm -hmm. kind of a 16-ish. And in entertainment, I was never made to believe that was anything but fat. Like, Mm -hmm. even when I was, even when I was, like, a size 10, it was, I was still playing the fat parts. So Mm -hmm. I never had a concept of myself as not fat. And... Then I just got fatter, so, like, my self-concept matched the way that my body grew. Yeah, yeah. It's so so fucking weird. Like, growing up doing theater, or in the entertainment industry at all, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. is such a mindfuck because, like, you are treated like you are fat, unacceptably so. You are literally assigned all the fat tropes and characteristics Mm -hmm. and roles that tell you something about what your body communicates even when i was not you know really fat or i was like midsize or just was like av- like like whatever you want to call that pocket i still was le- the fattest of my peer group mm-hmm. and so i played the moms right <laughs> but if you're asking like how did i come to the realization of like what it uh you know fat fat liberation or mm-hmm body positivity or whatever like yeah i read shrill mm-hmm. um after a clandestine <laughs> drive where i happened to turn on npr uh, As because there's nothing else good on the radio. <laughs> NPR is the and gateway to Lindy
0: West. 100. Yes, it was. It was.
3: was there's an episode of This American Life called "Tell Me I'm Fat," mm-hmm. which features Lindy West, Roxanne Gay, and a few others. Mm-hmm. And it's a fascinating episode. Totally holds up. Yeah. Definitely go listen to it. Just Google This American Life "Tell Me I'm Fat." Yeah. And anyway, so Lindy West was ta- was on it and was talking about her journey, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Mm-hmm. And then I, I read Shrill. I had an ebook on my phone, so yeah. no one could see me reading it because. I was, like,
0: I was you don't like wanna, so paranoid that yeah. I, anyone
3: would see me consuming fat media and, like, would notice right. that I was fat or something. Yeah. Anyway, so I read—recently I was reading Fearing the Black Body on The Boss, and I was, like, this is a step for me. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Anyway, I was, like, okay, this is a solo show. Like, i got to make a show about this. And yeah. so I made my solo show, More Than Tracy Turnblad. And in that time, even though I was still dieting, I was, like, kind of getting deep into, mm-hmm. like, your fat friend's work, Aubrey Gordon's work. Um, More Sam Gay, like all the fat activists that I was finding on Twitter and stuff. Yeah. COVID happened, podcast happened, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the rest is history.
0: Yes. Oh, my God. Okay, I genuinely feel like we could talk for a really long time. So, (laughs) Abby, you're a star.
3: Thank you for having joined me. And surely we will be speaking again soon. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been so cool to come on this podcast, which Yay. I actively love to listen to. You've <laughs> gone me through several road trips. Yay. Good. That's what we like to hear.
0: So, Kirk. Hello. Hi. You're back once again. Yes. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> of course. You said
2: biggest fan over here, obviously.
0: It's a joy, truly, every single time we interact, so I'm so happy that you're here. And Audrey and I really wanted to talk with you about Hairspray, um, because I have memories in the back of my mind of this show being a beloved show for you, but I'm not totally sure. When was the first time you saw Hairspray, and can you
2: remember what your first impression or thoughts were? Okay, so it's a. It's very important to me, It's so I love the movie and the musical both. Um, but specifically the movie version. So I moved to Solon, where we're both from, in... Mm-hmm. Would have been the summer before. Oh, my yeah, So it was summer wait. of 2007 because I... Yeah, because, yeah, it would have been summer of 2007. Literally same. Oh, my God. I didn't know oh, that. Oh, wait. Wait. This is making me remember about the thing. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. We're okay. going to get there. <laughs> okay. So we moved here to... We moved, we moved summer of 2007. <laughs> and I remember being like... So not to, not to like gas myself up, but I was like pretty popular in my old school. And so to move towns in eighth grade, I was like, oh my God, I don't have any friends. I have no one to hang out with, no one to talk to. Like I'm miserable, like this, like lonely boy. My neighbors on both sides were like, like either had really young kids or the lady on the other side was like rather old. She was very kind, but like no one I could hang out with. I didn't know anybody. So I spent that whole summer like in my room pretty much from sunup to sundown. And that summer mm-hmm. was the summer that they played the movie a bunch on MTV. I had to watch it at least 30 to 40 times. Um, wow. And I so sort of became obsessed with it. And like prior to the movie, I had a music director of a show when I was a kid who played me the soundtrack for the first time. He, play, he like would play Welcome to the 60s whenever he like drove me to rehearsal. And I remember that song being super important, but not being able to correlate mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the same thing until mm-hmm. much later. But also, the movie has Elijah Kelly and, like, that entire Black ensemble and Queen Latifah that I was like, oh, these people look like me and they're doing this, Mm -hmm. like, thing that I enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that there could be other people, like, that there was space for me specifically in this genre of, Mm -hmm. like, film.
0: You saying that you moved at the same time as me just brought back a lot of (laughs) middle school. And I am wondering if you could recount our thing yes. with this cuz it doesn't even feel like it was you. You know what I'm saying? Yes, same, it because it was so long ago. It was
2: so long ago and we were so different. So <laughs> that year, <laughs> the spring cho- like choir concert, which is like a big it's it's like a big deal every they every year they pick like fun songs for kids to sing. So it's no longer like choral arrangements and it's like these like choral arrangements of like popular entities, right? So it's like that year though we did hairspray as our like yeah. spring choir concert moment. <laughs> <laughs> and I had the solo for It Takes Two, which is actually cut from the movie and yeah. kind of cut from the movie. And there's a moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you get a little snippet. And yeah. Hannah, my dear Hannah, <laughs> was my dance partner for this whole thing. So we yeah. had, but we were like also really far in the back because I had to do this walk down. <laughs> yeah. So we're so I had the very last part and it's a uh, Hannah, being my my partner, my dance partner, had to follow behind me, and I like Mm -hmm. twirled her into my arms and sang the very last like line. It takes two, baby, like to her, (laughs) and it was
0: (laughs) so iconic. I
2: am, like, sure
0: that I have documentation of that somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to find it. Yes. And I remember it being, like, excruciating because all I d- had to do was not look awkward, which I couldn't do. I was literally incapable of not looking, like, super <laughs> uncomfortable.
2: And uh, it was your moment, and I was like, why am I here? Like, <laughs> But I also remember you, like, not wanting to touch me. Like, I would, like, yeah, I would, like go I spin that. you around. And I was like, she's, like, nowhere near me, but I'm, I'm like trying yep. to make this moment happen happen and mind you if you thought you were awkward how do you think I felt like I was like I don't know what's (laughs) happening like yep not this closeted gay kid being like I have to touch this girl now like what oh yeah oh it was a moment it was it was bad but I'm gonna find it so have you ever been in hairspray yes okay yeah tell me about it I did it um so it was actually the summer following my junior year of college I had the most fun I have ever had. <laughs> I just such a blast. Um, but the show itself is such a moment, right? It's like this story of like racial diversity and like trying to create change. And earlier that summer, I had done rent and um, is a there's a similar energy in rent of like inclusivity and like everyone like wanting to be seen for who they are. But rent is darker, quote unquote darker than hairspray. And so you like look at rent and it's a little aggressive and it kind of in your face about inclusivity. And hairspray is a little bit like more subtle and there's like a little bit more of joy behind it. And so Uh I spent that whole summer trying to figure out like what way will affect change greater.
0: Have you witnessed personally any particularly stupid white people shit when it comes to hairspray? Like in your childhood? in middle school and high school. Cause I feel like there was like a moment where we would talk about doing hairspray like at our school and like, obviously
2: just say something yes. if something's in your okay. mind. Yeah. So I have, I have heard of okay. ver- like hairspray being such a pivotal show about like race. It is like, yeah. in its, it is like in its DNA. It is a part of it. If you don't have the people to do the show, you can't do it. And we talked right. about doing it. They were like, Because they would say all the time at solo, like, we would love to do the show, but we just don't have the numbers of the Black Ensemble to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Which there are other shows that we would do eventually that I was like... Well, this is
0: what I'm saying. And I talk about it all the time. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, even as far back as, like, I'll shake Up. I'll shake Up is about race, too, but we never Mm -hmm. talk about that. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, the whole premise is that, like, the wrong side of the tracks is the Black Ensemble, and then... Oh my like Chad okay. and the other people. are like
0: Dude, I've only
2: seen the white person version. Exactly. I've never seen anything else, it's, so I didn't know. Yeah, it's a, okay. It's also about that. So like, yeah. when it okay. like the dean and Lorraine, I think is the character's name is like, that's like a that's a race. They're like, we love each other, but we're we're different. So we can't be together, kind of thing. Uh huh. Anyway, uh huh. Um. So yes, I have right, but yeah. a neighboring town, and um, and I don't know if she listens to the podcast, but she knows who I'm talking. Like you know who you are. Did a version of Hairspray where they colorblind cast the entire show. (laughs) Right. So Link was played by a black guy as well as Siri. So lines like, calm down, cracker boy. Yeah. No longer make sense because he's okay. He's (laughs) right. (laughs) Sure. Um, But they did it fully committed like. With their full chest, it was like, we're going to do this musical. And I was like, well, what is the point of that if you don't have, <laughs> if we're, we're going to lose the story? Or, like, I have seen other people do things like cast that I know or I've been soloist as a white girl. And you're like, oh, yes. Well, yeah, I love you. <laughs> the night can be as black as your skin. And so it's like a pretty common thing, I think, in middle America to forget mm-hmm. that at its core, the DNA of this musical is like, yes, there. it's just people trying to be included. And while mm-hmm. Tracy and her story of being a plus-size girl is super important, there's this secondary story that is like integration and how important it is and how e- how not too long ago that wasn't allowed. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like it's a, this is like a fairly new thing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I've been there. Been there, done that, heard those things. Yeah.
0: Correct I can't sit here and te- and act like I didn't 100% sing I know where I've been for an audition when I was like 14. And I changed the lyric and I remember what I changed it to and you know what? I deserved to flop and I did. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I already said it on the main show with Audrey, but I need to look you in the eyes and tell you <laughs> that I've done that shit. And kind of the worst part, or no, 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 not the worst part, but the at least the context for it. It does not ex- excuse it, but when you're, like, 14 and you know, like, three alto songs, right. that's what, that's, that's that's what why it happens. Yeah. and no that's one what educates what you. Nope.
2: Until you look back at it and you're like, oh. And we were. It was a different <laughs> time. We, you know, I can honor that we were different people. But it happened. <laughs> it did. It happened. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. live. We learn. We are better people yes. because of it.
0: We live. We laugh. We love. And we carry on. <laughs> okay. So, you just watched the movie again, right? Yeah. At least partially. Yes, I like. Okay. So, did anything in
2: particular jump out to you on upon this viewing? Yeah, I took notes. Was a okay, tell me your thoughts. Okay. Oh, okay. So, I, an issue that I have with the show that I didn't uh-huh. realize is that we never, as an, the people on um, in the movie itself, never realize that Tracy takes seaweed's dance. Audre, yes, we talked about that. And yeah. that's what puts her on the show. We never, mm-hmm. she never gets to say on live television, and maybe she means to, but it doesn't happen in the musical either, where she says like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this is my friend Seaweez, and he's on Negro Day. Like, that mm-hmm. never happens, which is a little bit of a letdown. Um, mm-hmm. And I couldn't remember, I didn't get to the very end of it, I couldn't remember, does, do they crown Tracy as the winner? They crown Lil know. Okay, but in the musical. But the, what happens In, in the, the musical? musical, Tracy wins. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, Tracy still wins. And then after the fact, Little Inez dances on the show. No, 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 yeah. no. So, yeah, Tracy wins, and Tracy's like, what she decides we're going to do is make Negro Day every day instead of letting Little Inez win. Okay. Which I like more.
0: Well, another thing that's interesting too, and that Audrey and I were talking about is that so the whole time, uh, Link is like, I can't like I can't be the one who like makes integration happen on the show basically. And and but then at the end, when um it's like I think before Inez is announced the winner, yeah, she just goes on stage or Link pulls her up and is the first person to like make it an integrated thing. And I'm like, of course it's him yeah. who get who does that. Like it actually makes sense if you think about yes. it. But it's annoying. It's annoying so. because you
2: want it well, especially in twenty twenty-one. We yeah. are so about, like, women getting to do the thing and not having mm-hmm. to be subservient to a man. And that's what it feels like, right? It feels yeah. like Tracy was just this, like, mere person that allowed Link to shine and be like, no, you're going to be the person, rather than, like, letting Tracy be the girl to be like, no, 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 you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Seven, eight yeah. would have been, in 2021, if this movie got redone <laughs> in 2021, Tracy would be the person making that that. Moment happened yeah. and not and not Link. They would allow Link to just kind of be the, like, pretty. Like witness. Yeah, like, the yeah. pretty, like, co-star and let Tracy be mm-hmm. full, full on the lead, no questions asked about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does make sense that he, because he was so against it. And so for him to be like, no, I can do it is so important. Yeah. Okay, what else do you got? The New Girl in Town, which is, like, a bop. Like. Yes, we talk about that song a lot. Is a bop. So. Yeah. In, it is actually underscoring in the musical, mm-hmm. but you there are no words to it. Like we never hear the song; it's just oh. like under a scene that happens. Yeah. And they wrote work like lyrics for the movie. And this mm-hmm. idea, I hadn't thought about this until I was watching it today. This idea that the black girl—it's the black girl song—and that the white yeah. girl sing it is like this commentation on like this happens. This has yeah. been this has been happening like, black people do something and then white people take it and call it theirs and like and that's what the world gets to see first and they say it without it being like a full on in your face aggressive fight. It's just mm-hmm. like Queen Latifah just has the line like the girls wrote it, yeah. Um, period. And then all of us yeah and you just like at at uh, thirteen fourteen I didn't realize what how important that was, but at mm-hmm. twenty seven I was like oh fuck like. Yeah, the girls should get to do that yeah. it because it's theirs. Like, how dare they? Yeah, it's like such yeah. a cool moment. You have, you have, like the human watching the movie has to decide, like, oh, that's why was that bad? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You have to do the digging. You have that. right, and that's what I love about this musical and movie in general is none of it. All there are so many things that 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 they clearly want you to learn, but mm-hmm. it's never just like pushed at you. You have to go back and be like what did I learn from that? Why why did I feel this way when I saw this moment in comparison to this? And like you have yeah. to do the research. It's about you coming to the answer to be like, oh, okay. And this is how I can stop being bad. Or like, this is how I can like create change in the same way that they all do. Okay, okay, cool. So
0: my last things, the things that we always ask are, first of all, what's your favorite song? Okay.
2: In the show. Oh, it's a tie. But, like, if I had to pick, gun to my head, um, it would be Welcome to the 60s. Okay. Um, be, For, like, a myriad of reasons. First of all, I think it's just, it's so fun and, like, bubbly. And, like, what I love about musical theater is, like, the way it can make you feel some, like, it can make you feel, it can make you feel energy. Right? Yeah. Like, and the energy that has to happen in that number, like, explodes. But, like I was saying, I um did a show when I was a lot younger and my music director had to pick me up and director had to pick me up from my elementary school to take me to the middle school, to be a part of the show
3: mm-hmm. uh, because
2: I was like the youngest person cast. And he was like, we rehearsed <laughs> right after school, but we'll push back rehearsal time so that we can get you to come to rehearsal on time. Wow. Uh, that was a star honey. Uh-huh. No. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So he would pick me up from my elementary school and drive me. And we only had time for one song from one From one school to the other. And he would play Welcome to the 60s pretty much every day. Um, And it was like, I was like, I love this song. It's so fun. Like, it made me so happy. And one day he played Run and Tell That instead. For me, and I was, knew I was like eight or nine. And I have distinct memory of being like, that's a fine song. But like, I would rather (laughs) listen to Welcome to the 60s. Like, it's the better song. And he was like, Kirk, but you will someday probably sing... This song, so like, don't you like it? And I was like, I mean, sh- whatever, like, it's fine, but like, tomorrow <laughs> we should play Welcome to the 60s instead because it's a yeah. suck. And like, yeah. fast forward to me doing the show, and he got to see me in it. And like, where I where he sat was like, I like, would I like walked out for Welcome to the 60s and was like on that side of the stage, so he got uh-huh. to like watch me sing this song, like, full out. Aww. And like, I was emotional. And that's this is that's the last show he saw me in before he passed. And so oh, like wow. it was I like looked back on it and was like, I'm so honored that you got mm-hmm. to see me have this moment and see me like be in the ensemble and sing this song and like wave my like measuring tape around and be like <laughs> just the gayest person on the planet. <laughs> and my super cute, like pink costume. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like Welcome to the 60s will always be like very, Aww. very, very, very important to me. Um, that's so cute. Yeah, it's, so it'll, it'll always be the most important thing. But also, I know where I've been as a fucking stan, and, like, nothing yes. is cooler than being able to stand on stage with people who look like you mm-hmm. and kind of, like, sing this song to, like, a room of white people and be like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't understand this struggle always, but, like, this is this is the struggle at its core, and, like, I hope this song changes you, and I hope the next time you do something that's wrong, like, you know that, like, you remember this moment of, like, watching these people, like, sing a song at you, so. Okay, so what's your least favorite song? <laughs> They're timeless to me because it's fucking terrible. Why? Why? Because I feel then, like that moment uh, is just, always, like, I think it's funnier when it's not great. You also have to remember that, like, Harvey Firestein is the original vocalist on that. Yeah. And so there's no singing being done. It's, like, just right. Harvey being Harvey, you know? So yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. not the same. So you need it to, like... You have, That's a good point. Yeah, you have to like lose. It yeah. has to lose its like style and grace, glossiness. Because it's- yeah, exactly. And but the choreography mm-hmm. being glossy is what's cool about it. I
0: agree, but yeah. it's a bad song. Your personal favorite line to sing.
2: <sighs> All right, so this is going to be a lot. I'm going to try to make this as simple as <laughs> possible. Okay. But in Welcome to the '60s, there's the playoff that happens. That so in the in the musical and kind of in the movie, but they kind of cut it. There's we have to like change the scenes and. Edna is singing like your mama's lit lit, she's all glow, mama, the na 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 right? But yeah. there's a like a riff moment that happens is your mama your mama your mama your mama your mama is my favorite. Oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> I do that like all the time to people and people yeah. don't know what I'm saying and I'm I like, know what it is. Yeah, you're sad because it's the best moment <laughs> in the whole show. It's so
0: good. It is good. I didn't realize that that's what she's saying. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Your, mommy,
2: your, mommy, your mama, your mama, your mama, your mama, your mama. Okay. So favorite movie choreo? It's a tie between Welcome to the 60s or You Can't Stop the Beat because they, it is like a full, I mean, it's a full moment. It's like a. It's a production yeah, number.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah like yeah. we're getting
2: all of the things you could ever want from a production number, but, and the people are dancing their faces off. I'm like, I can't imagine how many takes they had to do, but they are Mm -hmm. in it and there is no, there's not a wink link. Like all of those ensemble members are serving. Yes. And like in the musical, like when you, when you're doing it, it's hard. You like get to the Mm -hmm. end and you're like out of breath. Just like trying to woof out notes and be like, like <laughs> yeah. please, I'm just shouting. By the end of it, there's a lot of yeah. like jumping for no one, like for ungodly reasons. But yeah. in the movie, they're you know they're tracked, probably they're tracked and right. lip singing, so they get to just kind of like breathe. Yeah. And so they're dancing their faces off. It. It's pretty yeah, nice. yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: So you heard from our guests, it's a finale episode, so we gotta have the extra people. We gotta get like the final explosion of fireworks sensation going on. We're back and it is time for us to talk about 2007's Hairspray. So there's lots of good things, lots of bad things, lots of interesting things to talk about. So first of all,
1: should we start with the good things? Sure. So, I mean, there's a lot more I have hardly anything negative to say. And that's just how it has to be. I'm not going to pull stuff out of my ass for this. Like, it's just, I'm going to be honest. Um, I have a couple things that were genuine. Yeah, I have a few, but I I don't have that many. Um, All right. So, just really understanding and appreciating how much of a perfect casting Nikki Blonsky was. Like Just perfect. It's just... It, it's amazing, and like they did a whole nationwide search, and they it kind of similar to like Annie, where they saw mm-hmm. just thousands of people, and like were totally willing to pluck from obscurity, which is like usually a great move. Um, yes, and um, I want James Marsden in more musicals, and shout out to Brenda in the nicest kids in town. Um, you know when they do the call off they're like Maureen, Doreen you know that whole thing our cousin Julia Uh played Brenda in their dance school's (laughs) rendition of nicest kids in town Um, and so every time I hear the song I always go Brenda because that's what we would do
0: (laughs) When I heard Brenda, I was like, why am I thinking about Julia? And I couldn't place why, but there it yeah, is. That's, that's why.
1: why. Um <laughs> and then on like the 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 film side. Oh yeah. Also I really loved the the line, um, tell me I get a free caftan. <laughs> that's a great line. Yes. Um but yeah, on the film side of things, I was appreciating, and I always bring this up for every musical that we do now, is like how is it being adapted from stage to screen and are they using the medium um, in, a, in a way that makes sense for the show and also enhances the content that's there? So I mm-hmm. feel like when I, when I was watching, I can hear the bells, I felt oh, like yes. that was a good example um, because ev- ev- pretty much every line in that song has a, a its own setting and its own mini mm-hmm. sequence. It has mm-hmm. like musicality and it has a story and that story is not something you could tell on stage. So they're really thinking about how they can enhance the song using the film they using the medium of film they didn't have her start at the beginning of the hallway and track dolly track her down to the other end of the hallway in one song that's what christopher columbus would do for rent and that's yeah that's not what we're doing like it's they're using film language to enhance every song and that is what i love to see
0: yes And I want to chime in about that exact number, too. I agree with everything you said. And there was one specific part that I thought was really, really funny in a way I hadn't noticed before, which was the sequence of um, her looking through the bathroom window into the boys' room. And she's like, Link and I are French kissing. And he, like, licks his hand and then, like, sees her in the window and she, like, sinks back down. It was just really funny. I was like, wow, this is so clever and well thought out. I love that part.
1: Yeah, it's like a comedy number. Yes. Um, And then I also was appreciating this time around how basically hairspray, and we'll talk about this later, but hairspray can be seen as one huge example of what cultural appropriation is mm-hmm. because... Like, and there's, like, tiny examples of it. And then there's the whole story. Like, the story as a whole could also be seen that way. But when Nikki, um, when Tracy, not Nikki, (laughs) when Tracy goes to detention and learns um, the dance move, like, Peyton Place. Yeah. She she learns it and, like, they're having a good time. And then when they're at the dance thing and Zac Efron is singing Lady's Choice, Nikki goes over to um, Seaweed and is like, we should do your dance. And he's like, I can't do my dance because we're we're segregated, but you do it. Right. And th- that is what gets her onto the Corny Collins show. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's just a great a great literal example of it. If, if there's like white people out there who are not understanding, you know, and th- we see this all the time with like TikTok, yeah. Um, and dance. like specifically with dance, there will be mm-hmm. black creators who make choreo- and choreograph dances that become viral and then like Charlie D'Amelio does it and then it actually is like claimed as a dance, you know? Right. And they'll they'll give dance um credit to whoever it is, but it's just not the same thing. And like there's a lot of like yeah racism within the TikTok algorithm, which I've I've seen a video I've seen videos about and noticed myself but I feel like it is I don't know why I just started talking about that but um mm-hmm. it's just a good example of how racism continues to morph with technology mm-hmm. and yeah also <laughs> Also, I think
0: a really good example of the appropriation thing. So I wrote this down as a cultural reset for our lives because I know that it was. But the New Girl in Town sequence, where it's the white girls and then it snaps to the black girls and they're just like killing (laughs) it. So much better. Like, they're just so much better. And it's, like, funny because they're doing the exact same thing, but one is just so much better. Um, and then you find out that they wrote the song and that it was, like, controversial that both the groups sang it on the same show. Also very efficient storytelling, I have to say. Yeah. Um, my other good things were all just... Well, one of them is that the production design of the movie is really consistent and really pleasing. I really love that about it. And all the casting makes me extremely happy and there were there was a moment I think during without love that I was like almost crying because it's just <laughs> such a joyful movie. yeah you're just like this is this is giving me brain chemicals rarely obtained naturally mm-hmm. um and I appreciate hairspray for that very thing. but for bad things, I also had two more good things that I forgot the first one is, I love Edna. She's she's not John Travolta to me. I love her so much. I love her performance. One of my favorite parts of the movie. And then also, I just really, really, really loved the line that Link says when he says, I can't believe she savagely bludgeoned an Eagle Scout. That made me laugh out loud.
1: Yeah. No, he's funny. Like, he's funny beautiful. in this.
0: I know. He is. It's because there's like actual cleverness to the lines yeah. in this movie. Okay, I have two small bad things really fast, which is um, that I felt like Mrs. Von Tussle's reminiscing about the pageant, like, didn't really make a lot of sense where it was. Like, it felt kind of shoehorned in. Mm -hmm. Like, that felt like kind of a bad adaptational moment, but I can forgive
1: it. And it's actually shortened.
0: I mean... I believe that it's shortened, but just it was a weird place for it to be for me.
1: But like they like they shot more like it's a deleted scene. There's more to it. Yes. I also saw that earlier Mm -hmm. today.
0: And then I also just really hated conceptually that Link was the first one who dances, who like does an integrated dance on the TV show. I was like, after all of this, he's going to be the one to do it first. But then at the same time, I'm like, of course, it's like the hot white guy who has to do it first. Yeah. So they like, like they won't stop him. That's just like another good uh, like example. Thing. Yeah. Yes, totally. And like, the, is that us reading into it? Kind of, but also it totally makes sense if you think about it. Yeah. Is it us reading into it the way that YouTube commenter who said that we read too much <laughs> into the things we're not supposed to read into uh, intended? Yes.
3: Any other bad things for you? Um. I mean, there's just
1: some vocals that are really pretty dang bad, if we're being honest. Um, na- namely... John Travolta and Christopher Walken together.
0: Oh my God! I was shook at how bad They're they were. Like
1: not okay. It's not acceptable. Honestly, that's my least favorite song. In the whole show. I
0: knew it would be your least favorite it's, song, but I like it. It's
1: just not giving. <laughs> it's just not. I know it. I know it's not giving, but I still like it. Well, I'll let you have that. Um, thank you. And then yeah, poor like Amanda Bynes great casting, but the vocals are shrill. They are they are sounding very constructed. And yeah, so just amateur vocals, but the casting is so great I can like forgive it. It's not the worst thing ever. Um and they casted yes. Nikki Blonsky who really can sing and that was great. Totally. I uh
0: was really surprised at how nasty mrs von tussle is she's way more racist than i remember
1: oh i it was exactly how i remembered it (laughs) like a hundred percent
0: it was worse like just the actual like insults were like more clever and evil than i remembered Mm -hmm. i also thought that it was just kind of uh funny that not funny i mean the, again, this is me doing the thing that we do on the show, but that like Tracy escalated the protest oh, by whacking the cop because she doesn't know not to do that. And then she runs away and then all the black people get arrested.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that that was going to be my main thing, uh, too. Like that's my essentially my main point is like welcome to two hours of tracy turnblad making things way worse (laughs) as far as like her being ignorant in a way that causes problems (laughs) protesting doing all that her intentions are so good but she's too ignorant in this world to to know how to operate and she but she's also so bold that she won't just let other people lead, you know, let, let Motormouth Maybell
0: lead. (laughs) So. Right. Part of what makes the um, John Travolta Edna portrayal so weird is that like, so Hairspray is a feel good movie and you're supposed to, like you're supposed to forget that it's John Travolta being Edna. And like, I choose to see it that way, but it's like if the whole movie is about accepting her as like a different sort of person and it's also obviously very like queer coded, Clearly, that's, like, the whole point. But then at the same time, it's, like, we all know that's a straight John Travolta in a fat suit. Yeah. Like, not playing it for a punchline, but, like, very easily could have played it as a punchline. It's, like, you know, it's, like, it's hard because with John Waters, it was, like, subversive but not trying to be, like, earnest and heartfelt at the same time. Whereas this version is trying to do both. And it's, like, being fat or being weird in Like when it comes to Tracy and her mom, like is a punchline kind of often in this movie, mm-hmm. um, whereas I feel like they don't make race a punchline, at least not as much. And, it, and from my point of view, which obviously is very specific, I don't see it as much. Um, but I guess if you think about it, that can be tonally a little confusing, but honestly, it's just bubblegum. And I love it for that because it is so joyful and the songs really are so good.
1: And the ability to make such serious topics bubblegum and so joyful is just something that does not exist, like, anywhere else. Right. Like, there, what other yes. content is there? What other, like, th- There. this is, like, a very um, singular piece of art in that way. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. And the whole thing about it is that
0: like the ending statement of the musical version is that like progress is happening no matter how much you try to stop it. Like then the natural way of the world is progress. Like the, like the arc of time bends toward justice or whatever the quote is. Mm -hmm. Um, That is like a really nice sentiment to, buy into and even though it's like okay look at the events of the past two years now it's like things are better but they're not done so it's weird to be like oh this was the sixties like they, they they placed this in the 60s and they're saying it and a lot has changed but a lot hasn't changed but it's nice to buy into the sentiment that hairspray is dishing you which is just very inclusive and positive mm-hmm.
1: And you could, like, if you wanted to view that with a cynical eye and it's like, oh, they're just, like, they're, like, can't like feeding children candy and it's, like, not real and it's not representative of any truth. Um, I think it's a little bit harder to take that stance with this movie. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know if I can verbalize it well right now. But just something about... Mm-hmm. Um, the underdog story it it just it's it, I mean, it's not like they're not talking about the issue it's just what we need they are literally talking yeah. about the issue in a way that is just hard to not enjoy I don't know what to say. I don't even know how to say it what I like about okay. Hairspray is that they are naming the problem like they're not beating around the bush like this is about race straight up yes so let's real fast, Audrey,
0: talk about our favorite lines to sing, favorite song, etc. cetera.
1: Okay. So best song for me is a, th- is a tie between Without Love and um, The New Girl in Town, whatever that song is called. I think that's what it's called. The new girl in town. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then, as I said, my least favorite song is You're Timeless to Me. <laughs> um, my favorite Sad. choreography is the part in um, what's that song called that Seaweed sings, the solo? Run and tell that. Yeah, run and tell that. Um, the part where Taylor, who plays little Inez, is dancing in front of the fence. That is my favorite yes. choreography because I, I was like, how would I even pick my favorite choreography other than, you know, nicest kids in town. You think of the iconic moments, but yeah, the, uh, of the, you know, moments in the music where you wouldn't necessarily think the choreography would be amazing. It was. So I, I really yes. remember that part and she, her vocal is insane
0: I also thought that her choreography there was so much better than her choreography when she's actually on the Corny Collins show at the
1: end. It is better. It's like way cooler. I was like, what's
0: happening? My favorite line to sing specifically is, well, there's a lot, but I like going, (laughs) she was a new girl in time that specifically also just singing good morning baltimore is like the most satisfying experience ever favorite song without love (laughs) um Mm -hmm. but also i really like big blonde and beautiful for obvious reasons so fun to sing also really good lyrics there's underratedly very clever lyrics in this in this movie um like when they're talking in the nicest kids in town they're like you won't get into college, but you'll still look cool. Don't know a verb from a noun. They're the nicest kids in town. I thought that was really funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and my least favorite song is Miss Baltimore Crabs. I just don't like it that oh, much. Yeah. And I don't think her voice is that good.
1: Yeah, that too. Yeah.
0: And I can't speak to the choreo because my brain does not process choreo. Yeah. But... I oh no 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 that's not true that's not true my favorite part is that weird move that Corny Collins does when he's standing on that platform and it's like with his elbows oh, yeah. and it's also during the nicest kids in town I, I could do that I love that dance move I I literally could not do that like you would have to teach me how to do it I cannot <laughs> comprehend how that works yeah that one like I really can't that
1: one really sticks in my mind too like I can remember as a kid like being like, let me do that move right now. Like, let me, let me. Yeah, it's a good move. It really is. (laughs) Audrey, I guess this is the end of season three. Can
0: you believe that? That's so weird.
1: Yeah, it's weird. I feel like we didn't even address it until now and it's the end. But I think because we're coming back so soon and we're going to be selling merch and like, there's just so much on the horizon. Like, this isn't like, a sad thing (laughs) like it's just no it's not sad this is just like
0: see you in a second yeah um we will continue doing musicals as we did not do all of them but we will sprinkle them throughout yeah it will not just be straight musicals when we come back
1: right there's far too much left uncovered in the in the non-musical category We will be
0: back so soon, and this season's been really fun, and I feel like we've really grown this season, which is really cool. So thank you to each and every one of you who has left us a review, showed an episode to a friend, found us on TikTok, and then followed us all the way here. It really means so much to know there are people out there listening and who look forward to the episodes every week because... We really do enjoy recording the show, even if technology does its best to stop
1: us. (laughs) Yeah. You know, perhaps we were lucky enough to be able to record like five episodes in a row together, and that was awesome. So hopefully we'll have more of that next season. We will be together like over the holidays and stuff, so I'm sure we'll be able to pull that off. Yes. Okay, Well, until next time, we love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover-cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopingpictures.com. If you want to watch our show as well as listen, we're on YouTube too. Search Sleepover Cinema or go to the link tree in our Instagram bio. We're on Instagram and Twitter at pictures, and would love to hear from you there. We're also on TikTok at sleepover cinema, and that's really where the party is at.
0: And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share the episode with a few friends. Leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next and leave us a review if you like the show. And if you don't, don't. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Special thanks to executive producers Michael D'Aloya and David Moss. We'll
1: chat again soon. Bye. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories from the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star. This is Death Lady. of a Film Star. And